All right, senders, <clears throat> that's the thrust of this session. And we'll get into some specific questions. If you've got your Bible, turn over to 3 John. 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, verse 2. It says this, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, and that you may in good health as it goes well with your soul. That you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all of your efforts for these brothers and strangers, as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Good senders are fellow workers for the truth. And what he's, he's writing here to this brother who would look after strangers, look after ones who are going on, and to send them well, to be a fellow worker in the truth. William Carey, who was a missionary to Indonesia, he ended up uh, being part of six translations. He gave a foothold to kind of newer missionaries. His son ended up working with Adoniram Judson briefly in Burma. But William Carey, who would go and would spend 41 years in India, never to return to his home country. How was that possible? That he could never go back, never had to go back, never touched base with his home church. I'm not advocating that. That's definitely not what I'm advocating. But how is that possible that he could stay on the field through all of the trials, through learning the languages, and still have the home church vibrantly behind him? You know how it happened? He had friends in the church. And Andrew Fuller writes this to someone who asked him about how William Carey could stay over there. He says this, Our undertaking to India really appeared at its beginning to be somewhat like a few men who were deliberating about the importance of penetrating a deep mine, which had never been explored. We had no one to guide us, and whilst we were still debating, Carey said this, Well, I will go down if you will hold the rope. But before he descended, he, as it remembers to me, took an oath from each one of us at the mouth of the pit to this effect. Whilst we still lived, we should never let go of the rope. Senders, you're the ones holding the rope. The ones you send from this body will be the ones who go down that rope. And I'm firmly convinced of this, if we're going to continue with this metaphor, someday when the king returns... Someday when the king returns or he calls you home, he's going to ask the ones who went down, show me your hands. As they went down, how well did they cling to that rope? But he's going to ask the ones at the top as well who are letting the rope down, show me your hands. Do you have scars? Because the guys going down that, they let go of that rope, they're not going to make it. The ones at the top, what will be your marks, senders? What will be the marks in your life for how you sense? Again, man, I come back to Piper. Goers, 
senders, disobeyers. To be radical goers. Goers when we go, man, it's not for five years. It's not for 10 years. It's not for 20 years. We're putting the calendars away until a church is planted. Until a church is planted. That's the goal. And if that takes me 25 years, so be it. Senders were radical senders. And this is me now. I was a goer before. I'm a sender now. Hoping, I'm not their home church, but to be part of that. To hand back to their local churches two of their own. They are trained. We're going to give our mark at the end of this semester whether they should or should not go. Then their local church sends them. But senders, what will be the marks? What's the mark of a radical sender? To live in a smaller house. To drive older cars. The 401k, not what it could be. We're senders. We have some marks in our life. We live this way, children. At the dinner table, this is, we live this way because of, and then you name the members of your church that you're sending out, radical sending. This will cost all of us. It's not just the ones going down the well. It's the ones at the top holding that rope. Like Andrew Fuller is telling that individual is, I think the king will ask us, show us your scars. Show me your scars. What did it cost you to see the gospel go to the ends of the earth? So this session is a little more practical um, just because it helps to maybe quantify some of these things. This is a class I teach called How to Help Your Church Send You Well. And so I'm going to walk you through actually a little bit of a PowerPoint here. Excuse me. Uh, Four broad categories of support really quickly. Uh, Number one, financial. Two, physical three, spiritual, four, emotional, representational, and relational. I might be looking around a little bit here, just so you know. So these are the four broad categories. When I teach this class to our students, good senders, churches that are thinking through this, and I don't think I've ever found a church that does all of these. So this is, man, take the ones that you think this could be something our church could really use, or this could be something I could really help Uh, different ones of our body that are going, or missionaries that we support. This is something I could do for them, or this is a way that I could be a good sender in this context. So, uh, financial, physical, spiritual, emotional, representational. Uh, Number one, financial. Financial support, uh, that's obviously the one that most people think of. It's actually a smaller slice of the pie. Uh, Number two, for them to think of retirement. Not all missionaries are going to be there. Very few of them are going to be there through their ending years. But to give them help, advice, and for them to think through what it looks like to invest well uh, if they have their support. Medevac insurance, dental, life insurance. uh, It's a good thing before your missionaries go off even to radius-type training get their life insurance before that. Once they start getting into their occupation or once they're accepted by an agency, their life insurance premiums go through the roof before they go to enter into that. Not necessarily uh, for both of them, but for if there's a married couple there that you're insuring, if the male dies, what happens in that? And that we give some advice on that. Um, Let me hit this button again. Help for emergencies and one-time costs. These are something that the church, hopefully you have just a small fund built up. If your uh, medical or if your missionaries need to go through, they need to have something done physically, 
they have their appendix burst, they need to get out of a country quickly, you have something set up to actually help them in that process. And then organized visits every two to five years. This is something financial that the church can do, hopefully with someone in senior leadership and a member of their partnership group. We'll talk about partnership groups in a little bit, but to have someone from the leadership of the church actually going to see what's going on. One of the blessings in disguise of COVID has been most missionaries from around the world have returned back to their home church and to give an account for what they're doing. The faithful church, the faithful senders, know what your missionary is doing. The rise of different methodologies within missions, some good, many very dangerous. Speed and pragmatism have started to become the guiding touchstones of missions so that we can see rapid results. Thousands of people. You start hearing about thousands, church, churches planted in months, even in six months, even in a year, yellow flags should be going off. What are the methodologies that your churches are practicing? Would we see that happening in Lansing? Churches planted in weeks. Thousands of people coming. Why is it happening where our missionaries saying, let's send somebody over there. Let's figure out what's going on to stay faithful with your missionaries, even when they're on the field. Uh, this was a team, this is just for application purposes, this was our church sending different members over when we built our house for the first time there. Uh, they slept with, uh, we were all living in the tribal houses. Yembi Yembi has, I don't know, have you guys ever seen the Princess Bride and you've got rodents of unusual size? It's not quite those size rats, but it's pretty close. You've got, most of the Yembis have have calluses that are about an inch and a half thick. And when they fell asleep, I would look at their feet when we were out hunting and when they're sitting by the fire, and they would put their feet up and their feet look like golf balls. And I could not figure out why are their feet looking so weird? They look like golf balls. They got divots all through them. What was happening at night is the rats would sneak into their house and they're taking chunks out of their calluses until they punch through the callus and actually get to meet and, ooh, and then they're pulling their feet back. Our teams coming over there, sleeping in their house, they had an education and a welcome to Yembe that I would not wish on anybody. But they came anyways, and they helped us build that. And we actually had some brothers uh, from Michigan, from up in St. John's, that came up and helped do some of our cabinets and then eventually helped build the gathering house. We don't call the church the church. We call it the gathering house. The church is the people that come in there. And then uh, this was so very sweet to me. This was <clears throat> the early church in Yembiembi. If you ever come to Yembiembi, what they do is they take a huge hunk of mud, they shove it in your face, and they pull it down, and then they take a coconut, and they pour that over, and then all of that dribbles down into your shirt, and now you're beautiful. Now you're ready to come into the village. And so when our first, uh, some dear friends of ours, he's a senior pastor in Davenport, Iowa. Uh, they came over to visit us. The church is maybe about three months old at this point. And they said, they're going to come. They're coming. And they are actually crossers. That's what they call Christians. They call them crossers, ones who have crossed from Satan's side to God's side. Crossers are coming. Yeah, they're coming. And so they're like, all right, we're going to get all this mud ready. And so we had to tell them, listen, this may be a little bit shocking, but the people from our country, they really don't like having mud shoved in their face. What? What are you talking about? Who doesn't like that? No, no, no. They just, if you can just take it and kind of put it on the outside around their eyes and stuff like that, that'll make it. But it's not, they don't look as beautiful. I know, but it, it would be maybe helpful. So that's them decorating them as they got off the airplane uh, for the first time. But to have someone from our church come over 
and open the Scriptures to a book that hadn't been translated yet, to the book of Philippians. Here's some talk from this, and I'm translating for him in that upper right picture. Oh my goodness, and to see the believers go, this is the same talk. He's saying the same thing as what we've heard. And that connection to the church that sent us. Brothers and sisters, don't discount that. Man, to be there. That may be more, uh, that may be able to happen in more certain circumstances. You're going to have to be wise in that. But just being aware of that so that you can send people to your missionaries around the field. Physical. Um, housing on home assignment. Uh, furlough is what some people call them, or the end of ministry transition. So when your missionaries come home, one of the great blessings is they don't have to worry about housing. To have a missionary house, to purchase something here to where they can stay close to us, they don't have to live in the basement of Aunt Judy who lives about three hours that way and then they got to commute here every Sunday. This is just real practical to be able to have a place for your members to stay that would be close. Uh, educating in particular, did I flip? I went sideways. Um, educating them in particular fields. So where your missionaries are going, I was just talking to a brother at the break time. If you have business experience and your missionaries are heading to a location where they're going to need a business visa to stay, sidle up to them, take them out for lunch, talk to them about their plan. Most people are not geared to be entrepreneurs. But if you're going to some of these locations, you have to be an entrepreneur. You have to think in that mindset. Help them with different skills. Where I was going, it required a different set of skills. I hadn't used a chainsaw ever, but we had a guy in our church who uh, owned a steel shop, steel being the steel chainsaws, and he had like the weed whips, and he had lawnmowers and stuff like that, and he had chainsaws, and so he just grabbed one of his chainsaws, and he taught me how to use a chainsaw during the weekend, and I was horrible at it. He was pretty tough, and I got better at it over the weekend, but to take those particular skills, and you with your business with your occupation, with the various skills that you have, when you have ones that are going to those locations, help them with some of their things that they're going to need to know that they can be better at as they head towards the field. Uh, we got there. Car to uh, borrow. I've heard of churches having a church car where they actually have their missionaries. They're able to get them around or help them find a car. Man, this crazy thing when I got back... Um, where you can buy a car on the internet that you've never seen. I don't really like that, but there's different ways. Things happen. Technology changes while missionaries are on the field. Help your guys navigate. Hey, you want to go to this place. These guys are reputable. They sell cars well. There's this thing called autotrader.com. It's really helpful. You can find or Craigslist or whatever. Whatever is the suited means, but help them in that. Education for their kids. Homeschool while at home, teaching them various life skills. Uh, if they're homeschooling, help them with curriculum. Not all curriculums are created the same, and by God's grace, there are better and better curriculums coming out. One of the things that my wife and I realized overseas was Abeka's good for this, Sunlight's good for this, this organization's good for this, and we could make this amalgam of homeschooling curriculum, and we had church members that were sending my wife tips and tricks and helpful things for educating our son deep in the jungle. You can be that help to your church members while they're overseas, if they're homeschooling, and while they're back. But just keep an eye on those things in case they're going down that track. And then involvement while on home assignment. Man, when your missionaries come home, instead of waiting for them to come to you and go, hey, would you like to go out to dinner? Would you like to have a lunch? Ask them. Would you guys like to go out to? You know the better places to eat. You know the places that you don't want to go to. Invite them out. 
Ask them about their ministry. Help your missionaries, if they haven't gone through radio string, help them to be really good communicators in that they talk about themselves about half the time, and then they ask you good questions. Church leaders, make sure your missionaries have well-rounded social skills. They have the skills to know, I shouldn't talk about myself the whole time. Even if I'm crazy doing some wonderful things in Pakistan, they should ask good questions about their local church. Help your church members be well-rounded individuals, maturing in all areas. Spiritual. And again, this is nuts and bolts stuff. Uh, they have to, uh, do they have agreement to your statement of faith? Check on that every time they come home. My theology, where I was at theologically, when I got to the book of Romans and I was translating the book of Romans, my theology changed. It was painful for me. And I think of different missionaries and I've heard of different accounts often. When you translate the scriptures and you're reading through these things and you're diving into the minutia and how is the Yembiembi mind going to process this whole thought that he's putting? Jacob have I loved Esau before they were even born. My goodness, this is mind-blowing to me. And I'm reading John Piper and why is my brother sending me these Piper books and R.C. Sproul's blowing my world apart and what's happening and these things that happen. Check your missionaries when they come home. Check if they're still in agreement with your statement of faith. Not like, here it is, sign it. Now, like, hey, brother, just let's have a talk about where you're at. How are things going? Has there been any changes while you're on the field? Uh, that's in red, so you can't see that. Your agreement to being under church leadership before, during, and after your ministry. And this was, again, for the radio students. So this is me talking to radio students. Are you in agreement with your church before, during, and after? A lot of people don't give thought to someday these ones will come off the field and they're still going to be a part of our body. They're still going to be with us to have them agreeing and not to go lone ranger at the closing chapter of their lives. Stay with us. Stay with us. You're still a member of our body. Marriage checkup while home. Hmm. Pretty important. Pretty important. Check on their marriage. Those of you that know them well, and we'll talk about the partnership groups here in a little bit. That you're, you were friends before they went to the field, but now they come back and they've got these really wild stories and their kids are huge and they're doing these things and they're up in front and who am I to ask them about their marriage? Are they going on date nights? Do they still speak in a way to where they love each other? Have things moved? Be the faithful church. Be the faithful senders that will ask the awkward questions. Do their kids show respect to mom and dad? Do they get a free pass? Don't shower the kids with gifts too much. Give them little things that maybe are helpful, but if you shower them, you get, them, you get this idea that starts to build up in their mind that they're somehow different, and then they buy into this mentality that's really not helpful. Check on their marriage. Check on their parenting. Make sure they're still walking with God in these crucial areas. And then intentional involvement with uh, your kids. Again, I was talking to the radio students when I did this PowerPoint. You're having your church, church members, good senders, intentional involvement with their children. I appreciated so much Jack and Mary Alice Griffin from my home church in San Diego who took my son out and they took him to, they found out he loves spaghetti, favorite dish he has. So they took him to an Italian restaurant. He had all the spaghetti. He, could, he comes back and he's like, Dad, I eat so much spaghetti. Look at my belly. And his belly's all pooched out. He's like 10 years old. And then they took me to the store and they got me my, like these shoes. Look at these shoes. And they just, they were very kind to him. But while they're doing this, they're checking. What are you reading, Bo? Do you read the, what are you reading in the Bible? What's your favorite book? 
What's your, what's your favorite story from the Bible? What do you think about living in Yembe And they're just, they're intentional. They're not probing for gaps. They're not looking for weird things. They're just being faithful to our son. And we know Jack and Mary Alice Griffin before we were even married. And they're loving our son. What a unique thing to see the body of Christ. What a beautiful thing to see it come together like that. Uh, organized prayer for you at key times. Those of you that got to see the Yembe video <clears throat> and to see when the gospel came in there, one of the things that I think goes unheralded <clears throat> excuse me, in that story is how many people were praying for us. My home church, my wife's church that she grew up in, when we calculated between our three couples that were in there for that final week and even the three and a half months that we were presenting from Genesis to the death, burial, and resurrection, we had close to, we estimate, maybe 30, 35,000 people around the world. And as people were reading the blog, praying for us. And then the final week when we're getting to the death, burial, and resurrection, our church held round-the-clock prayer meetings in the church. Some members are going to take the shift from 9 o'clock at night to midnight. Some members are going to take the shift from 12 o'clock at night all the way through to 3 o'clock in the morning. Some members took the shift from 3 o'clock to 6 o'clock. Prayer is real. Prayer is powerful, and to utilize that for your senders or for your goers at critical times. This is what they're going through. We're trying to get them out of this country. The police are looking for them. We need to be in prayer. We need to be supporting our missionaries through prayer at this time. Don't neglect organized prayer at key times. And then emotional, uh, representational, relational. Core groups, partnership groups. I'm a firm believer in this. To have a group of people that is representational in nature, and you guys, there's different names for this, and I've seen this done a variety of different ways. All of them are good as long as you're on the general thought line. If we're going to send out this young couple, this young lady from our church, to have a group from within the church that knows her well, that reads every one of her support letters, prayer letters. We actually have a class on how to write a good prayer letter don't make it five pages and don't let it be a theological treaty on something. Like you, you want to keep them tight, but to send out, they're the ones that know them the best. And so there's about four or five families within the church that know our missionary who is in that country and what they're doing. And they can represent to the church body needs, victories, when they're coming back, why they're coming back, what organization are they with, why are they with that organization, who needs to talk to them. That group knows that missionary really well. So that group of people is really uh, kind of the focal point. This was our partnership group before we left for Papua New Guinea. These are some of our uh, fellow church members, and then there was one of the elders of the church was a part of that as well. And then it grew by a couple family members and uh, two of these, the couple on the far left, have graduated to glory now. And they were part of that whole process all the way through till the church was planted. But to have that group, and we, they would come back, uh, the ladies would sit my wife down. Okay, this is what's going on with hair in America right now. There's highlights and there's low, this is my extent of hair, women's hair. There's highlights and there's lowlights and there's other stuff like that. Guys would sit me down. Okay, when you left, he was president. Now he's president. There's this other thing happening. There's this internet thing. It's really cool. It's kind of taken off. There's this Facebook thing. You need to get a Facebook account. What? I don't even know anything about the internet. I know. You're getting a Facebook account. We're doing that tomorrow. Like, they just kind of caught us up on life when we would come back. And so, there will be different things that your church members need to wrestle with. Some of them won't be in our type of situation, but to help them to be the people that are kind of like 
the vanguard of your missionary team. And then uh, membership, members from the partnership group represent needs and victories to the congregation. And then here are some important talks that need to happen. When your missionary goes, what will happen if we die while we're over there? This is where our, our living trusts. This is where our will is at. This is what should happen with the 20 bucks that we have in our bank account. This is who we want it to go to. This is who's going to be taking, off, or taking our kids. Who will be heading over there to pick up our kids? If we have an emergency, this is the country that we're going to be going through. You're going to be talking through the nuts and bolts. If the worst should happen, I know that we had these conversations. Senders had these conversations with us. Our church body knows because I know our partnership group, our leadership team, our elders know this stuff. In case of kidnapping, what will we do? This is something I wish every church would think through. I've gone through this a few times with different missionaries. If your missionary is kidnapped overseas, to not pay the ransom. And that's really hard when their parents are sitting in the front row. Why do you not pay the ransom? Because if you pay the ransom, then every other missionary has a massive target on their back now. That just made missionaries open game for all organizations that want to go after someone with a price tag on their head. And you have to have that conversation before they head to the field so these things are clear. What happens with burial? It's really hard to bring a body back from the field to their home country. That can be done in certain ways. Power of attorney, who can sign papers for them. They lost their cards. They, got, uh, they had their wallet stolen, and so there are different bank accounts. They have to reopen, signing privileges. Have that conversation with that core group of people, with a certain group that's going to walk through. The senders, this is part of your job. This is part of you being the one holding the rope. These are the things our guys need on the field. And to talk through some of that. So that, in a nutshell, is senders. I know that's maybe a little more technical, maybe a little bit more pointed and has some different parts to it that are very specific. But hopefully that gives you just a little bit. And again, this is a four-hour class that I have condensed down into about 15 minutes. Um, I want to move to questions because this is where senders can think through a lot of things and maybe you guys have some questions at this point that I just didn't address or I'm completely overlooking. Questions from anyone? Cool, I can move around. Rick says we're waiting for hands. You mentioned date nights. I'm just curious, what's a date night in the jungle look like? Oh, very hot. Um, it was about 110 with 90% humidity where we were at. So we never did candles. Um, we, what, what, would, what was really helpful was when our coworkers would take our son and they would have him from five o'clock till like nine o'clock. And we would generally, we, we got these massive river shrimp and so we'd have a shrimp meal and we'd hang out and we'd talk and maybe we'd watch a Seinfeld or I don't know what we'd do, but yeah, it was just, those were the best times. Nice. Uh, Craig, you had a couple. I don't, are they related to sending or sort of? Okay, we'll come back to yours. Okay. Go, Kim. Um, so we have the beginnings of what you're describing, I think. Um, so with our missionaries, different, we have small groups in the church, and they, they kind of adopt a missionary. Hmm. And um, how do you help develop that commitment, that relationship, that faithfulness? How, 
Any pointers in that regard? Yeah, the best way I've seen it done, and again, every church is different. Comparing churches is like comparing your children. It's a bad idea. Like there's just, there's different strengths and different weaknesses to every church. So you don't want to go, that church does this great. We're such a bad church. We're not doing that. There's just, there's different strengths to every church. And so I'd far be it for me to call out a church because they don't do it a certain way. But I've seen it as um, the leaders in the church, the elders catch a vision for this. This is how we're going to set this up. This is what we're going to go for. And whether that's a small group or however you want to structure it, but we're really going to try and dive into the weeds on these guys' lives. And I don't know a tremendous amount about the missions program here, but to get down to that almost granular level to where you understand that, them to that degree, some of it has to do with how, how many missionaries you have. If the more missionaries you have, the harder it is to do this. And some of them may not need this level of interaction depending on what they're doing. If they're in a certain situation overseas, they're... <clears throat> they're not um, they're not in these high risk type of locations or they're not doing that church planting thing there's other very good ministries that aid in the great commission effort but if they're doing different things they'll need varying levels of support but the best way I've seen it is when it comes from the top down when the top speaks this is what we're doing this is what we're going after this is the angle we're taking that generally tends to produce the fastest and the best results Yeah, question, um, what, what are the things you think that you see most churches failing at, not doing well? I mean, you get a list of things we should be doing, like what would be the top of the list? And second question, kind of related to that is, would you recommend giving more to a small number or to a larger number? I know that's hard for some people, and I've heard different teaching on that from different places around, yeah. you know, give less to, give more to a few or give, you know, less to many. Yeah. Let me ask you this before, and Nick, you probably know this. How many missionaries do you guys have right now? 20. Is that right, Greg? Okay. 20 families units. or units. 20 units? Units. Okay, 20 uh, mostly units. families. How many, how many countries? Most with MTW? No. Scat scattered. Okay. Yep. Scattered. Just so I have a general idea what I'm speaking into here. Yep. Um, what do churches do wrong most of the time or that I've seen? Wrong is maybe the, not the best phrasing. What generally churches do is they send money and then they, they don't know what happens after that. They send checks and then out of sight, out of mind, they're gone. That's, that's the thing that I think worries me the most when I see churches, especially if they're churches or members from this church. I'm not opposed to supporting other missionaries that aren't from your home church, but I think that number should be dialed back significantly because if they're, they're yours, they're your people, you're the one, you're where the buck stops. One of the things that's happening in missions today is the agencies have kind of absconded with the missionary philosophy, and what ends up happening is the agencies become the driving force. That, is, that should never be the case. The home church is the driving force in missions. The home church dictates what level of language fluency they will get to. The home church says, this is what we want our missionary doing. Agency, by God's grace, you will support this. If you won't support this, we're going to actually put them in another agency. The only thing that agencies will listen to is churches. Churches have the power, but churches give that power away too quickly, 
They're now, just in the last seven or ten years, it seems like churches are starting to pull that back. These are our members. We're taking responsibility for them. We're going to check up on them. And if they're not doing what we're needing them to do or what, we're, what we sent them out as a church to do, we're going to ask them in grace to come back and we're going to retool them and possibly send them out again. But we're going to take a real active involvement. The idea of, okay, we're going to send our 500 bucks a month and we'll put them up on the board like once, once a year or something like that. That's just not a real good way. You want to be, if you're going to send them, man, send them like they're your children. They're our children. We're going to watch them to that degree. That doesn't mean that everyone's going to need that level of involvement, but you're going to be actively involved to some level about those things that we talked about. There was a second part to your question. Oh, the number of people. Ah, man. You can critique us. That's okay. No, <laughs> I, I, would, um, I would say this. I never advocate for taking a huge amount, 75, uh, I would say anything more than about 60% or higher of a missionary's recommended support coming out of one church is a little bit dangerous. There is a benefit to having multiple churches supporting an individual missionary, because here's the truth. People pray where their money goes. So if they're going to support this missionary, even individuals from the church, they tend to pray for them too, because they're sending, they're signing that check every month, and they're going to go, I'm going to pray for that couple that's in Cameroon. We don't know them very well, but we're going to pray for them because we're sending them support. So I generally advocate home church take on a bigger portion. It shouldn't be every church, including the home church, is sending them 300 bucks a month. That's going to make your missionary travel and gallivant all over the country when they're home and they're rootless. Support them enough to where if they're here, they're here on their home assignment. You get to know them to that, to some degree of that level back there but I wouldn't go over the 60% mark. I think that's a little too much, and then it starts to take away from other aspects where the body of Christ can be involved in there. So maybe that's me being evasive, but it's kind of a middle road. This next question comes from Puerto Rico, actually. Lee and Joella are there, and he texted me. Hmm. From the first session, I got it a little bit late. He says, in the video, you said something about your organization having invitations from tribes for missionaries to come. What does that mean? Yeah, Papua New Guinea is this unique country, and it shouldn't be taken as the kind of the, the trend all over the world. Papua New Guinea is unique in that they have, it's one of the last countries with cannibalism in it. It's one of the last countries with isolated tribal people groups that have had very little contact with the outside world. And because of its isolation and because of the infighting that's gone on, it has the most amount of languages, distinct language and culture groups of any country on the face of the earth. India, China, all of them are second to this little country called Papua New Guinea because of the infighting, the geography, and the history. So what ended up happening, um, some of you that know your world history know that in World War II, Papua New Guinea is where Douglas MacArthur turned back the Japanese. The Pacific tide of the war turned in Papua New Guinea. The Papua New Guineans had a lot of things inflicted on them in World War II. The Australian, the Allied forces were seen as saviors in many ways. And so when uh, the Allies left, there were little stories that would float around about that. And so when missionaries came in, have come into different parts of Papua New Guinea, other tribes have seen this. And they've seen when, this, when they come, they learn language and they give some sort of talk. This is what happened in the MBMB. They give some sort of talk and that talk changes the entire village. We don't know what that is. And they also bring these little white pills and their babies stop dying. 
We don't know what's going on, but we want that. We want that to happen in our village. And so there was a lot of requests from different language groups to get that. Whatever that is. We don't know what the talk is. We don't know what the little white things are, but the babies stop dying and the village radically changes once this message hits. And so we had about five that were on the list that had been asking for seven years or more. They don't make the list unless they ask for seven consecutive years. And that's Papua New Guinea in some respects. I have heard of that a little bit in different countries around the world, but that, that's what that list was. Um, you said that there are, I think, 3,000 and some unreached peoples. It seems like we ought to be able to finish that in our generation, like before the Lord takes me home. Our family and our church are supporting a lot of people that are not doing missions as you defined it. Mm. I actually think they're all doing good work yeah. and important work. But do you think that we need to, I mean, first of all, we could probably all give more to missions. Hmm. I don't have a list of five pioneer missionaries asking me for support right now. If I did, I would probably think about taking some away from those others and giving it to them. But how can we as senders get people, uh, I mean, to me, that's exciting to think about hmm. finishing that work in our generation. Maybe the Lord will come back then. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm always careful about the Great Commission being tied to the Lord's return. I think that there's no amount of human pressure that's ever going to force the king to do anything that he doesn't want to do. So when these last language groups, by God's grace, are reached, the king will return when the king chooses to return. And so I want to make that clear at the get-go. I think one of the things, what you're talking about, I would say keep, keep supporting your missionaries. There are some, val some really good efforts going on. Radius is partnering with some seminaries overseas to help train their national members to go to unreached people groups. There's different ways that the Great Commission, by God's grace, is going to see accomplishment. One thing that I encourage, whatever however many missionaries you have, if you're looking for this to get to those last unreached people groups, the last 3,100, and I like the way that you're describing that and even thinking about that, I, I too, I hope that these ones who are sitting in the front row, maybe in my lifetime, maybe in your lifetime, this will be accomplishable. But it won't happen unless we're more strategic. This is what we're going after, and we're going to have a percentage. This, is gonna, this isn't some churches I've seen this go after. This is the only thing we do. Some churches, there will always be this portion of it. But as the church elders see young people in the congregation, would you consider this? I think it's a very valid thing. I've heard this in more and more churches doing this to where, brother, sister, we see you have the, the right gifting for this. We see you on this trajectory to be a church elder this will hurt our church in the short-term sense, but it will be a mark of God's glory going to the nations to raise up your own from within and to put your finger on this young lady, this young man, and putting it to them. And they can say no, but to have that type of impetus so that we get to the nations. We're actually going to get to those places that still have nothing. I think that's how churches go after that in addition to the things that they're already doing. So, good question. Did you get Risk is Right, or which one did you get? Um, kind of a two-part question. Yeah. You talked about while you were on the field, your own theology growing or changing. Um, what would you say to, first, an individual who 
for a long time has supported a missionary, but through the years, your theologies or doctrines or whatever have become very different, and you no longer see what they're doing as actually advancing the kingdom. And on that same token, a church that has supported a missionary, uh, kind of what you talked about checking in on them, that they're seeing that that missionary isn't doing what they sent them out to do. Yeah, um, the theological question, it depends what's changing theologically. If it's something that's a secondary or tertiary issue, I, I wouldn't necessarily worry about it too much, but that, that's for the elders to decide. This is primary to our church. This is who we are. Uh, if it's something significant, then yeah, I, I would not have a hard time. Again, missionaries, there's, sometimes there's too much uh, there's too much slack given to missionaries. Missionaries, you're the only ones over there. But if they're starting to go off into the weeds a little bit, man, the home church is the only recognized biblical mechanism for grounding them back in the truth, not the agency. The agencies will do things for better or for worse, mostly for self-preservation. The church is a different organization. That is a God-instituted tool. And for the church to take an active interest in where the missionaries at theologically. Not every year. It's not, well, are they there? We're going to give them the litmus test, that kind of thing. But just to know where their missionaries are at. Missionaries do migrate in their theology, and sometimes they migrate to better theology. By God's grace, I think that's where I migrated to. But sometimes they migrate to bad theology. They read certain books. There's certain waves that go through the mission field. There's certain TV shows. I remember there's, there's just different things. And then Larry Crab catches on, and then, my goodness, everybody's talking about my, managing their finances, and oh my goodness, and there's just different things that go through, and you just want to make sure your missionary is still reading good stuff and still being influenced by the theology that the church is resonating with. So I think, maybe, I mean, if I would maybe ask them to return if they're going through some significant things that the church would not see as helpful. But again, the details are the tough ones, so I wouldn't want to speak too specifically unless I knew the details. Hey, can I ask two more? Yes. All right, they're also texted to me, so they relate to the first session more. So what role, um, if any, would you recommend to people in their 30s and 40s, so they've kind of crossed that language barrier, they're on their way down, probably not going to learn two more languages, um, professionals, handful of kids, but really feeling the tug to be involved in overseas missions in a sense where they're leaving their church and going to do something. So what roles would you encourage them into? Yeah, in agreement with their local church leadership, there are a lot of things they can be involved in. There's a lot of things overseas. There's a lot of noble, good things that I would support and say, this is great. I just, I'm always concerned with, is there a percentage that we're looking at getting to that last goal of the Great Commission? So there's other things, though, like supporting those ones that are out there. There's a whole bunch of, I mean, I think the statistics are there's almost overseas even, not just at home, but overseas, there's almost five support missionaries for every one that's doing that. And to have them being bookkeepers in some case, school teachers in boarding schools, pilots, uh, nurses, doctors, there's all sorts of things that they could use their giftings with to help get to that location. Seminary teachers, Bible teachers, the, the national church, like you've got frontline working with minority people groups, and then you've got the national church, the Indian church, the Chinese Mandarin church, the house church movement, the Nepalese church, 
all of those, they need help. The, the Bible training that we have available to us through good seminaries, that is a rare thing. That is non-existent. That's why you see the prosperity gospel sweeping through the continent of Africa, starting to get a good bite into India now because they don't have good Bible training. So anything that they have that could fit in different aspects to help nationals or to help frontline missionaries and minority people groups, those are very, very needed. So I wouldn't say, no, put that away. I would say, man, go for it. But it's going to be in a different capacity. And when they get there, try and learn that one language. Try and learn that one national language. Missionaries are so much more effective. Bookkeepers last longer. Pilots last longer. Dorm parents last longer if they know the national language because they feel a tie to the country and they don't start feeling like isolated outsiders. The, this is the field that we've gone through. They like the local food better. They start to dress like the people. They start to smell like the people. That's a good thing. So the more they're involved in national culture, the better that is. Okay, so this is my follow-up question to, okay. to what you to your answer then. So yeah. we as a supporting church, University Reformed Church, how do we think about sending and supporting those types of folks? Oh, man, that's a massive question, Craig. <laughs> um, I, <clears throat> sent from here, your members, like you're talking, they haven't gone yet. They're in these pews or they're watching online sometime. Um, number one, I would make sure that they're the type of people that you would go. They're on the trajectory. If they're in their, if they're in their teens, if they're in their 20s, if they're in their early 30s, they're on the trajectory to be an elder, elder qualified that type of a young person. We would make them a greeter. We would readily welcome them teaching a Sunday school class. We think they're that type of person. They show a drive. They're not playing Xbox in the basement for eight hours. They're the type of people that they're, they're, they have a drive to them. You're identifying those types of people. Do they have the right Bible training? That would be something you guys would want to measure what, what that means. Do they go to RTS? Do they go somewhere else? Um, or do we feel like we have sufficient Bible training? And then get practical training. If they're going towards that, this is me straight up, I would send them to Radius. It's the only school I know of that actually is going to train in that type of a time and to get into their life to the degree that we get into it. And then at the end of the time, we're going to tell you, we think they can do this or we don't think they can do this, but they're your member, you decide. Here's nine points of character and competency that we have measured over the time that they've spent with us. Here's where they're strong. Here's where they're weak. Church, you decide, but we're going to give you that objective. And once they have the Bible and once they have the practical training, get them to the field. That, that would be, and get them to the field with all of the kind of stuff that we've talked about this morning. Not all of it, not every church can do every bit of it, but as much of that as you feel comfortable with, that would be my recommendation. If we're talking about blank board starting from scratch. Cool. Thank you. And then one last question. Um, you can take as much or as little time because I know we're over. But we're talking about people groups hmm. before and languages. Um, how do you think through a larger, technically unreached people group like the Japanese? One major language, um, yet you look at the percentages unreached. Hmm. Yeah, I mean... <clears throat> That's the Japanese question is one we get often. It's a complicated one because you've got a large population and there are Japanese speaking churches that are there, but the amount of the population is so small that actually has the gospel. Um, it's a complicated one in that I think it's got to be approached from a few different areas. If you're talking about my general strategy for Japan, one, I would continue to strengthen those local churches that are there, and two, as you have 
reputable missionaries that are looking to actually land and what their long-term vision is, is to see churches and then in the Japanese context to see seminaries or Bible schools. I think that's the thing that is missing there is to have their own indigenous force. Again, I come back to that book, Korean Pentecost, and what was able to be accomplished by the Bible schools some of the different things that they would institute and the young people that they would raise up within their own ranks. Until something is indigenized, it's pretty short term. But once it takes on that indigenous component, then things kind of have a much more long-term lifespan to them. So I would go after it because it's a national language type context. You only have to learn one language. You just got to go English to Japanese to be able to be fluent. That This is one that I we hit like a two by four at radius with to be able to speak the language of the people that you have come to reach and sound like them. One of the Achilles heels of North American missionaries is they always sound American. They always have that American accent to them. They never sound like locals. Why is that acceptable? Why is that allowed to happen? To get to full fluency to where you can speak in idiom, you can speak in metaphor, you can tell jokes and people actually laugh. You can hear a joke and you laugh at the same time as everybody else. You're not five seconds later translating it in your head. You're to that level of language and culture. That's a good missionary. Praise God for the ultimate missionary, the Christ who came and lived among us, who ate our food, who walked with us, who went through everything just like we did but without sin. That's the model missionary to live with the people and to look like them, to smell like them. This was a shocking, I'm getting on all sorts of tangents here. This is a shocking thing to me in Yembi Yembi. If you eat their food, you start to smell like them. The pores and everything, everything starts to, and finally the Yembis would tell us, you actually smell nice now. And like we're sweating because we're eating sago and these different wild boars and things like that to become like your people, to have that incarnational aspect like the king when he came and lived among us. Those are good missionaries, and to get them to the point in Japanese where they speak and sound and act and do all of the cultural things like a Japanese person, get them there. Then they're a much more powerful tool. It's when missionaries go over and they get to, and I'll talk about this a little bit tomorrow, but they get to market level fluency. They can buy fruit, they can get their oil changed, they can carry on small talk, but when you get into Q&A, when you get into abstract, when you get into salvation by grace through faith alone, this is out of their depth. Now they're starting to sound like Tarzan. They're putting different words together. Nobody says it that way in our language. Now their message sounds like an outside message and their God is an outside God. Who wants to listen to that guy? That's the God of the Americans. That's the God of the, those guys. Become like your people. Really long answer to a short question.